Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chelsea Handler. Welcome to Life Will Be the Death of Me, a production of iHeartRadio. Okay, good morning, everybody. Hello, Brandon. This is me, Chelsea. Hello, Chelsea. It's Hi, hi. This is going to be our last podcast out of our 20-episode podcast series. This is our conclusion to our podcast. Our exit interview. This is our exit interview. Yes, we're going to reflect, maybe talk about some new things. I think it's very uh, serendipitous that this is the week that Nancy Pelosi has also decided to go ahead and impeach the president. Very exciting things. Yeah, to start an impeachment inquiry. Would you like to explain to people who are listening who may not know what the impeachment inquiry is? Because last night I had to Marco Polio to get some insight as to what was really going on. Well, it means that they're going to investigate whether or not to impeach him, was my understanding is. And then the trial itself is the actual impeachment. So whether or not he's found guilty at the end of his impeachment, he will have been impeached if they choose to go to trial. If they choose to hold an impeachment hearing, right. I think. But I could also be wrong. But I think I'm right. But, you, you know. That doesn't matter. Anyway, I'm very excited about your participation in the podcast. I think that you you probably had no idea you'd be podcasting so fervently. Yeah, people ask all the time if this was a planned thing. And I said, you were literally out the door to go interview Mary and said, Brandon, come along. And I thought I was just coming along for the ride, not to actually be on the podcast. And lo and behold, and 20 you, episodes later. Right, 20 episodes later, people think you're, you're a huge hit. People love you. They want to know what your Instagram handle is. And I tell them, well, I don't really respond to those kinds of questions. But I think you can announce that you don't have one. Because, I do not have any social media. Um, Brandon and I are actually eating Wendy's as we do this conclusion exit interview because Wendy's was on the way here. and We got the spicy nuggets. We have no willpower. Well, I have no willpower. A powder. And Brandon is from North Dakota, right? South Dakota. Right. It like matter. I said, <laughs> one of the Dakotas. And so he eats this kind of shit all day long and then goes to his spin classes for four hours a day. Yeah, that's true. Spend a lot of time at the gym. I'll chew off. I'll chew off my... Um, yes, we got one order of spicy chicken nuggets, one order of regular chicken nuggets. Mine are the regular. I don't even need sauce with them. They're so fucking delicious. They're really good. And we got an order of fries, which neither one of us love their new fries, but 
It'll do. I grew up with Wendy's, and I would like to say that chicken McNuggets from McDonald's, I find repulsive. Yes. But chicken nuggets from Wendy's, I find A++. Because you don't get the weird tendons. God, it's like when you get those frozen ones where they say with rib meat underneath in that small font or print. You're like, excuse me? Why the fuck is rib meat involved in this? You know what's interesting is a lot of places use the small print for things they don't want you to know. But if you eat a bag of pork rinds... On the bag in big font, it will say it may cause anal leakage. I don't know if you remember that controversy. Pork but pork rinds cause anal leakage? I think so. There was like a, a chip, a snack of sorts that came out that would cause anal leakage. And they didn't hide that from you. They told you in Why? big How letters on the bag. Anal, and what does it have? Like crystal meth in it? I don't make <laughs> pork rinds. I'm not sure the science behind it. But this was a thing. So well, I've never eaten pork rinds. That's not my thing. I mean, maybe I've had some like real pork skin at some point. But pork rinds has never been my go-to you know, uh, it sounds so gross, pork rind. Well, now you I know. People on keto diets love a pork rind because well, apparently people it's on, on the keto list. diets also like to have anal leakage. Well, I guess so. Bringing it back to shit for the last yes, episode. Please, no, but sense. that's all I ever talk about is feculence, feculence and shit. Why don't we talk about our journey, Brandon? Our journey together in mm-hmm. the past three years. You've been witness to all of my changes and all yep. of my self discovery mm-hmm. and self awareness, which has prompted you to do some self discovery. How's your meditation going? It's good. I've been doing it regularly. Not every day, but maybe every other day, just getting in a better routine. Yeah, the last couple of days, I had a wedding in uh, Taos, New Mexico this weekend, and my friend tried to kill me with alcohol. So I have been recovering for like two days. I felt nauseous for the last 48 hours. Because you don't drink anymore. I know. So it's a real, I do drink, but this is a real conundrum for me because I can't afford to be that hungover. I mean, I guess I can, but- I don't want to be that hungover. So it's like if you drink all the time, you don't get a hangover, which is better. But then you're just inveterately bloated. And if you cut back on your drinking and you only drink once in a while, then you really, really feel it. So I'm at a crossroads. I think you just have to lean into the cannabis and you have to like let the drinking go. If you know you're getting to that point. No, if you know you're getting to that point, you're like, this is going to be a rough couple of days. You rein it in. Just pop another edible. Yeah. I mean, I packed enough. No, I I, I took a lot of edibles and I drank a lot of alcohol. Like I did both. So you doubled down and that's why you're feeling like shit. Yeah, I did. I think sometimes though, you you know, with the cannabis, you don't want to be too high because then you're just like out on cloud nine. My friend Mary told me, she goes, you know, sometimes the cannabis is cute and everything, but sometimes you're just like not even communicative while you're sitting there. So that's, that's what I love about it. So that's too much. Yeah. Unless you're alone. Like when I go home at night in bed and I like last night I took 20 milligrams and I was like, here, just wait till you fall asleep, sister. Uh, do you remember when we were in Sun Valley and we watched that entire series of that show? We'd get in bed on an edible every night and we'd have to rewatch and rewatch it. And we didn't say a word to each other. Because we didn't remember. Yeah. What show was it? I can't remember the name of it. See, that's what's great about television. You that's can what's great keep about rewatching. You can keep rewatching shows you thought you've already watched. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of health and self-awareness, I want to just talk about a couple of things. People seem to be very responsive to me sharing all of my therapy stuff. So I want to talk about reaction versus response because that was my major issue when I went in was my lack of patience and um, my reactivity. I didn't think before I responded. And what Dan taught me was there's a space of awareness between those two things. You know, I talked about this last week a little bit with Laura Lynn Jackson, but there's a reaction and then there's a consideration for your reaction because sometimes we react with our bodies before our minds and we have a physical feeling towards something. 
uh, there's a space of awareness is where you can identify that and then respond instead of react. And that's something that people have mentioned to me has helped them a lot. So it's really easy to incorporate that into your life if you've tried it. And then eventually it just becomes, you know, your habit and you can kind of rehabituate your bad habits. And that goes back to Dan's in your creation of I am. I am. I am. I am. Identification, awareness, modification. So like if somebody says something to you to that is annoying or that you find annoying or somebody is annoying, it's about, oh, wait, why am I reacting this way? Why do I not like this person? Is it really because of that person or is it because of something that that person's doing that reminds me of myself? Which usually if somebody's annoying you, it's because you see something in yourself in them that you do not like. Yeah. You know what I found interesting lately is your vocalization of how you're feeling because before so when you started therapy i could see you making the adjustments even if you weren't saying anything like you taking a second before you respond to a dumb question that i'm asking or we have a lot of people around the house that meander through for different reasons Mm -hmm. brandon loves it because he gets a kickback brandon gets a lot of kickbacks on any improvements that i have on the house oh that's why i have 17 remote controls because i believe he gets 10 percent of each remote control and every time there's a new tv installed or there's always audio visual no amount of money is worth the trouble all those fucking remotes cause so i can tell you You you're telling me sister some outdoor patio furniture gets stained in odd colors, and then we have to hire outside companies to restain it. I mean, ever since he's worked here, things are a hot mess at my house. I mean, the money's going out, 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 and it's not coming in, is it? I have to say, for the record, I am very frugal and very thoughtful about how and where I spend your money. Look Just at the so house everyone... in Spain. Look at the house in Spain. We leave it to anyone else. And then there's all these problems. People say, oh, you know, they go there and they said this wasn't right and this wasn't right. And now Brandon has to go for two weeks to vacation in Spain at my house there just to set everything right. Isn't that right, Brandon? There is some truth to are you your bringing, statements. Are you bringing your lover with you to Spain? You know, I wasn't going to be able to, but he is going. Oh, what a coinkydink. Yeah. That's so funny. That's such a surprise. And is Mabel going to Spain? No, Mabel will not be Do in you Spain. and Mabel have a rivalry? No, I think we're... I think we're on the up and up. You're on, in good shape with mm-hmm. each other? She doesn't listen to this podcast, so you can talk about her if you want. No, everything with me and Mabel is fine. She doesn't like feedback. Mabel, Mabel is the head honcho at the house, to be completely honest. Like, Why I do should you really say be that? taking direction from her. She's been there forever. She deserves She was the with respect. me when I broke up with Ted and I moved into my own apartment, and she was the first woman I saw. I moved into some apartment, and she was the in house cleaning lady. And I walked in, and this was like 10 years ago or probably longer, and she was like, oh, my husband is terrible. He doesn't have a car. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. I'm going to yep. have to buy this woman a car. And then that's exactly what happened, and now we're still <laughs> My father was a used car dealer, Brandon, okay? I'm just trying to keep the business in the family. I understand it. Yeah, so you've noticed that now I'm saying oh, I don't yes. feel okay. well? Oh, yes, okay, so the other day, you, and this has happened more than once, but the most recent, you had said that you were feeling ornery. And, mm. and even though you were saying it in jest you've done that now where you're like i'm not in a good mood or you'll tell me before you say something that i might take personally perhaps and how does that come across i think that's much healthier that that you're acknowledging that that you're like i'm in a bad mood right now just Uh letting you know oh yeah because like i've had to say to you like i'm i feel wound very tight today Uh uh-huh and even though sometimes i feel like that's not professional i think that 
because some of the job crosses over between personal and professional telling you this what is where I'm at of, this morning. What part of the job do you think crosses over from professional to personal? Exactly. You prying on my naked body in the morning when I'm in my bra and underwear or when I'm coming out of the shower and you're in the bathroom? Yeah, I mean, those are a couple of examples That's of crossover. That's reverse sexual harassment, just so you know. I guess you're right. And I could press charges if I knew who to talk to I about this. I need to take this. that into consideration. I mean, seriously, you're sexually harassing me. If I get out of the shower and my beaver and my boobies are exposed and you're just, you know, lollygagging around on my night covers. I always do seem to cross your path right when you are yes. exposing yourself. Right as I'm walking out of the shower into my bathroom or into my closet to get dressed. Guess who pops up? Let's talk about my relationship with Bert and Bernice because I think that one has improved the most since my therapy. Well, I'm really interested in all the relationships and how they've oh, changed. Yeah. Because I would say that I have less people in my life now socially than I did for a long time. Like I've not thinned the herd because that sounds like – but there are only people really in my life now that I'm really, really close with. I think you're not bringing people in. Is the difference so like in the book you talk about the scorched earth basically where it's like if someone does you wrong they're donezo and I don't think that that's been the case at all really in the last eighteen months it's just that you're not as prone to bring someone in you're a little bit more reserved with well I I think what the biggest difference is is that I enjoy my time alone more than I ever have in my life I used to not be able to hang out alone I wanted people in my house all the time I wanted a full house so the biggest difference is that I like coming home alone and I like spending time with the dogs alone and I do value like my time alone I spend more time alone I sit outside and read more and I I don't need noise as much as I used to Mm -hmm. which is a nice it's a relief and I didn't realize how many times I was leaning on socializing instead of just being alone with myself. It was a kind of a distraction. And socializing is good, but I mean, I've I've done plenty of socializing in my life. Like, I'm good if I want to take a little break from it. Do you ever feel the need to force yourself into those social interactions now? Yeah, yeah, I do. Sometimes, I, I mean, I can become a little bit of a recluse, but that's only because when I go, I go so hard. And if I'm promoting the book or if I'm on the road or promoting the documentary, it's like it's intense, intense, intense. And then I need to decompress. Right. Which is actually something I never used to do. I didn't never like spent a day alone, but it's good to be interested in doing that. And it's good to be reading so many books. That's something that I was missing for a few years. I wasn't reading as many books as I used to. And uh, I like that aspect. You're reading more too, Brandon. I'm trying to, yeah. You're finishing more books. Right when I started, so about three years ago, you would start a lot of books and Mm. they would all have a few chapters in. And now you actually finish and pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, that's like I'm right. Like Tampa because you finished it. You're still reading that fucking book? I mean, Yes, what? I do work a full-time job. Where? Where do you work? Do you think getting all these kickbacks is easy? I got to meet with these people. Yeah, I go I golfing. It's unbearable. All right. Well, back to kind of the last year. You released the book. You started in conversations. Mm-hmm. You've gone into stand-up. You just had a documentary release. I have this podcast. Yeah, you have the podcast. Has there been one interaction since your growth that has really stood out to you either with a fan or with one of your friends or just like a moment in the last year that has been kind of profound for you? Um, I've getting, I mean, I've been getting a ton of messages that are just um, so much different than the tone of messages I used to get. And like, I get a lot of, I guess, you know, being on the road and doing these backstage, we have these meet and greets after the shows and people will say, oh, my gosh, I grew up on Chelsea Lately. I grew up on Chelsea Lately. Like, I didn't realize at the time how popular that show was. Very popular. Yeah, I didn't get that. So I think it's interesting now that I'm in this phase that I'm hearing all of that feedback, all these girls that are like, you know, 20 or 
25 that are like, oh, my God, we grew up watching you. That was nice because I was ready to hear it. Before, when people used to talk about Chelsea lately, I'd be like, oh, God, shut up about that show already. I wasn't as proud of it as maybe I should have been in terms of it being perceived in the way it was and being motivating to girls to be proud of who they are and and have a a loud voice. So all of those things, there were good things that came out of it as well. Um, I think I poo-pooed it for a long time because it was just such a hard job to leave. And it was like one of those ex-boyfriends that I was trying to break up with and I couldn't. And then I did. And I was like, please don't talk to me again. So that's nice to hear. And I think the feedback in general from the book and the documentary has been really nice because... It feels like I'm finally contributing something instead of just cashing a check for my own purposes. Like it's nice to be able to say I want to do a documentary and about this subject matter and let and and be able to. You know, that in itself is a privilege and it's also being around for so many years and being able to decide what you're going to do creatively is a huge privilege, but I now realize how much privilege I have. So I'm much more careful with it, I feel like, in terms of what I'm going to use that advantage for. You can write a book about anything. You know, I wanted to write a book about something meaningful and true. or And I wanted to do a documentary about an issue that was going to make people uncomfortable, myself included, and like and get answers and start a conversation. Was it scary to make that choice to leave a hit show, go into another show that was doing really well and say, like, I don't want to do any of it anymore. I want to focus on myself and helping other people. Yeah, but it's good to be. I mean, it was it wasn't hard because I'm so impulsive that I didn't really have to think about it. I just had I knew I had to do it. But it's a little bit destabilizing. Mm-hmm. But it's I ch- I like that. I like a little destabilization because you kind of have to scramble and figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and what your moves are going to be. But everything always works out. Do you think your more successful ventures have been the ones where you've not thought about them or the ones where you've taken a lot of time? Yeah, I think the ones that are more thoughtful, the ones that are the most authentic, the ones that are true, like the Chelsea Does series on Netflix was really authentic for me. And that was great. And this documentary, I mean, that's where I'm what I'm drawn to the most now is having conversations with real people about real issues and real ways to get involved, to do actionable things, to show up for other communities, not just your own. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, back to what's important. Bert and Bernice. The dogs. Okay. So one night I had this epiphany. I was really stoned. And I was in my bed and I was like, because, you know, I assault anybody who is listening to this. Bert and Bernice are my dogs. And if you don't know that by now, then you don't know me. So one night they came over and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to assault them because that's my problem. I cannot keep my hands off of them. I get a little bit Harvey Weinstein around my dogs. And I know they don't like it, but I... Don't get to spend as much time with them as I would like because Bert's too fat to travel and Bernice is a bitch. So I sometimes want to grab them and put them in my bed. And I used to take them upstairs with a leash and force them to go. You had to guide them. I had to guide them or lure them with turkey or roast beef or whatever, you know, my bell decides to buy that week because obviously I'm out of those decisions. And... I one night I was like, oh, I was all, you know, I was going through this phase about learning how to be present and what that meant and and not trying to get them to come to me, but just being aware and being there. And as soon as I stopped tackling them, they both kind of like meandered over to me and both wanted to like be in bed with me without me pursuing them. And I was like, oh, that's what it's like. You just have to be available, not be pushing it. And of course, I haven't been able to follow that because, you know, you've seen Bert walking around the house, strutting his stuff. It's very hard for me not to pick him up, spin him around on his back and rub his belly while his head is in my lap. He is just such a meaty little man. He's just so such a furball. And when I sleep at night and his head is on my chest, it's like having the Lion King with me. Bernice Mm -hmm. won't stay in the bed because she knows that. She's got to go take a piss in the bathroom. Yeah, she likes to piss in the bathroom. Well, last night I did go to bed fairly early, so she was probably holding her bladder. But at least they're going in the bathroom now on the hardwood instead of on the rugs. Or on the hard floors, I should say. What a success. Yes, but my relationship with them has blossomed, for those of you concerned. They do love me more than they used to. Bernice comes in the car with me whenever I go to Ben Bruno or can take her. And Bert 
is you take her places too that I have to question. I'm like, are you sure you can take her into the doctor's office? Well, in those instances, she doesn't come into a doctor's office. She sits in the car with the windows open. Oh, okay. And in the Tesla, they have the air conditioning for dogs. So when you get out, you can leave the AC that on. That car has everything. Yeah, it does. I wonder how much money you got for that car. Like don't worry about it. Yeah. So you've been seeing Dan now for about two years. You don't go as frequently as you used to. But has there been an instance where you're like, oh, I need to recalibrate. I better go see Dan. Like, uh, what was the last time that you're like, this? I need a tune up? Uh, well, I try to see him like, I, you know, I haven't seen him in like probably three weeks right now. But I don't see him as much as I used to because I think the important thing about therapy, and I maybe read this somewhere, but is that you get all this information and then you need to learn how to apply it to your real life without being in a codependent relationship mm-hmm. with your therapist. Like, I don't want to be the type of person that's calling Dan on the phone in a crisis. I want to be able to manage my own crisis. Has there been a time where something happened and you're like, Brandon scheduled this appointment? Yes. Yeah. I mean, not recently, but yeah. And while I was in therapy, for sure, like I went on a trip with a friend and we got into it and I thought I wasn't doing anything you know, wrong. And he guided me about apologizing. And I was like, no way am I going to apologize. I haven't done anything. And he's like, that's not the point. And he goes, it's not about being right. It's about being empathetic. Like it doesn't matter if you think you did anything wrong. You have to just be a good friend and say, I'm so sorry I made you feel that way. I'm so sorry, this and that. And it was really hard for me to do that. But I I am so glad I did because that was the first step in being able to forgive people, especially when you don't think you've done anything wrong. Because it really is about the need to be right is always wrong. Mm-hmm. So the need to prove your point. You know what? Just yesterday, you were trying to prove your point to me because I had fucked up something and you were right about it. Do you remember what that was? No. I tried to not do that or make you feel that way. Well, you did it. Well. And I heard you loud and clear. You were right. So I hope you're happy. I wish I knew what it was and I'd be thrilled, I'm sure. But the need to be right was a good thing. And that's also another thing for people who are like really into learning about, I don't know, I guess presence and like Eckhart Tolle and that Oprah Winfrey, that 10 episode podcast about a new earth was so helpful to me in terms of understanding about not sweating the small stuff, about not getting stressed out about stupid little things, trying not to, obviously I'm not perfect, Um, and that everything will be okay. I used to get so annoyed with people when they said everything's going to be okay because it's like, what a pat statement. How can you say everything's going to be okay? But the bottom line is, even if people die, even if people get sick, you are going to be okay. As long as you're breathing, you have the chance to be okay. And so that in conjunction with Dan really let me understand okay, there's no reason to stress anymore. There's no reason to get an email and freak out and stomp your fingers and responding to it. Mm-hmm. It's just better to like let everybody be and just chill and have a positive vibration. I think that's important to not bring in like, you know, the negativity and stuff because it's hard when you're like me, you know, everyone knows what kind of mood I'm in basically by the way I look. So it's it's beneficial for me to be able to be in a good mood most of the time. And I would say I I am pretty most of the time in a good mood. On the days that you're not, do you have a mantra that you use? I think mantras are so stupid, but you just saying that everything's okay. Because mine is, is it really worth being mad over? And I, I think I've said that to you before, because my aunt told me that I would get so angry about everything. Yeah. And one time we were on the phone and I was bitching about something. And she goes, but is it really worth being mad over? Like, start asking yourself that because everything you're yeah. saying, it's not. 
Yeah, that's a good point. No, I don't have a mantra because, you know, that's a stupid thing. No, just kidding. I know people have them. Uh, I don't have a mantra. I just kind of just breathe. I'm really into like taking a deep breath and just being present. And it sounds really corny, but it's corny because it's it, it's like a it works. Mm-hmm. It totally works. You know, I never was conscious about my breathing. I was never like if somebody is talking a lot and I feel judgment and like, oh, my God, why won't they shut up? I take a breath. Anytime I feel judgment towards anyone, I'm like, take a deep breath and be in the moment. Like you have no right to be judging other people. And that's nice. I think for a long time, I felt I had a superiority complex because I felt like I just knew a little bit more than everybody. And that was, you know, Dan kind of took that away from me. Like he made me understand, oh, we're all here together. We're all equal. You're not doing more than another person. You don't have more of a burden than another person. It's just all part of your perspective. And once I got on an even playing field and realized, okay, I'm down with the people. There's nothing special about me. Then I started to get real. And then you feel really grounded. I feel way more in control of my life than I ever have because I know that I've got my head on straight now. So what would you say to the people listening who feel that they are too self-aware or that they are superior to therapy, that they feel like they know too much to need to talk to someone? Well, you know, some people, I don't know that every single person needs therapy. I I would say that most people who claim to be self-aware are probably not. You know, I think anytime you claim to be something, it's probably not that true. Are those the people who need therapy most? Maybe. I mean, I don't think everybody needs therapy, but everybody needs the space to like think and reflect and be calm. So it's like whether that's yoga or meditation or therapy or going for a run, you know, there are different forms of it. But there's great value to me in paying somebody to tell you what your issues are. You know, I like that transaction. I like paying Dan to say, hey, you have an empathy deficit and you have, you know, like that's really helpful. Um, so much so, you know what I watched the other nights, um, couples therapy on, on Showtime. Have you seen that no. or heard of it? It was really good. It's like this, it's a real therapist and she has like five different couples. They rotate in and out and they take this whole season takes you through all these different couple stories and whether they break up or stay together. And then her story with her clinical advisor about how she deals with being a therapist and getting like a second opinion on all of her. It's really good. I mean, I watched the whole series yesterday when I was in bed or Sunday, but that's a good recommendation on, uh, on Showtime. Okay. Well, this sounds like a good time to take a break. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's another disgusting show on Showtime about Roger Ailes called The Loudest Voice, where he gets a blowjob from Annabelle Wallace that is so revolting. It is so disgusting. And Roger Ailes just basically went into work every day and thought he was supposed to get his dick sucked by any woman that was working there. And a lot of them did it. And that was one of the most upsetting series I've ever seen, because I just, I mean, I literally turned off the TV and just sat in bed thinking about how disgusting he was and how foul how foul men are to assume that women are there to suck dick. I mean, honestly. Aren't they doing a movie with Charlize? Yeah, Charlize that- has a movie with Nicole Kidman and Margot Robbie coming out on the Roger Ailes story. I don't know when that comes out. Probably soon. It's fascinating, though. I also watched Chernobyl last night. Once we got you logged into HBO Go. Yeah, yeah, Brandon. Once you got your kickback from HBO <laughs> Go. I'll be able to retire soon for anyone listening. Just, oh, just know me. it won't, I thought it won't we, be much longer. I thought we were retiring together. We are in, in a nice ski chalet. At a ski chalet. We're going to go skiing this winter and we're going to find a ski chalet. And I want to tell all our podcast listeners too that um, I will be back with a podcast when I have something interesting to podcast about. It's just not something I want to do like ongoing every week. I'm about to leave for a month on tour. So. Where are you going? I'm going to Australia, I'm going to Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, and Auckland to perform. And then I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to Portugal and Spain. Am I I meeting up with you in Spain, Brandon? We will not cross paths, Uh, but I will have the house set up for you. It'll uh, be beautiful. Brandon, we're going to Spain for my sister Shoshana's 50th birthday, which means she's been alive for 50 years, which is so fucking weird. 
Yeah, aging is really tricky. And yeah, I'm going to be 45 this year. I'll and I be... just turned 30. And so... you just, oh, Brandon. I know, we're all... I can't believe I scored such a young buck. I know, and I'm here for the long haul. What other questions do you have for me, Brandon? Uh, well, do you ever feel like you're plateauing in your personal growth? Um, That's a good question. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't know. I think with anything, I think my friend once told me this, that his his mom was a teacher and she's like, there's a period of learning and then there's a period of growth for all young kids. Like you absorb, you absorb your information and then you enact it like and you and, and, it, and it becomes part of your life and then you actually have time to digest it. So like going to school, you're like all this information is thrown at you and then say you have summer break to actually contemplate it, even though that's not what summer feels like. It's kind of the information and the learning registering in your brain. And that's how I feel about therapy. I feel like I went full throttle for about a year and a half or two years. And then I just decided to pare it down. The thing that I have a real issue with is social media is something that I needed to I need to come like to reconcile with because I I don't approve of it <laughs> yet I am part of it right. you know I feel like it's detrimental to, for so many reasons and I don't like myself on it like when I'm when I'm scrolling and read like I want to be in in, in a, uh, engaging with my fans that's important to me and I do that on social media a lot so it's kind of like I'm a and hit- it's actually for people who don't know, it is actually her who's commenting back and yeah, liking. Yeah, my assistants and... aren't commenting back on DMs. I am. and and But, that you know, also, I don't need any more DMs about cock sucking or, you know, your paintings. Like, I'm just responding to people who have questions and comments about the work that I'm doing. But I definitely find, you know, like, for instance, when my book came out and my documentary came out, both of those surrounding days, I was, like, tied to my screen and checking messages and responding. And while that's good... And it do, I don't, you know, let it go on for more than that. It still feels like it. Oh, it's doing me. I'm not doing it. And what are you checking for? Are you checking for? I don't know. I mean, I'm checking for. No, I'm checking to engage with my fans. That's what I'm doing. I try not to scroll around on Instagram for too long because that just leads to silliness. Um, I try and support the people that I love that are on there and leave comments when I can. But I don't like it. It's like anything in life, like the cannabis. I don't want cannabis to do me. I want to do cannabis. Right. I don't want alcohol to do me. I want to do alcohol. I want to be in control of all of the the extracurricular activities I have. And Twitter I like because it's actually much more informational. But Instagram specifically, there's just like I have a resistance to it. I think it's so bad for a lot of people's mental health. I know it was for me that you just – it's also just you're staring into a, a black hole at all times. Yeah, and it's, and it's just you. dumb. Yeah. It's dumb. Like on vacation, when our family's on vacation and, you know, anyone's on their phone, it's annoying. It's like, are you seriously checking Instagram right now? I mean, I'm guilty of that, too. But it just feels like it's not a good the best use of anyone's time. And like, let's all be a little bit more cognizant of that. But the therapy has forced you to kind of reassess things. And it, again, it. I hate to use the word, but in your brand, like that's had a big change too, because again, on Chelsea lately, it was basically making fun and braiding people all the time. And you've really dialed that down. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like to do it in my personal life even now. And some of my friends are, you know, that, that annoys them. It's like, oh, really? Now you're not going to do that. It's like, well, is that really how we have to like talk, make fun of every single person? I don't like that anymore. And I'm, you know, I mean, not in a way that I'm obviously if somebody, you know, I can get down with people, but it's just, 
It's just negative, 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 negative. Complaining, and, complaining. Even if you're complaining about somebody else, you're complaining. And do you feel like your fans' response to that or people like when you're on social media and you see that, that people have been receptive? Because I know right when you left Netflix and decided to take the time off to help people get elected, there were conversations like you're going to lose your mm, base. The, yeah. the people who love you for being kind of a bitch they're not going to like this new you. Yeah, I mean, I don't really care about the fans that I've lost. If you like, you know, it doesn't matter because you're going to have different fans or new fans or those people are going to grow up with you, which is the case with a lot of my fans. They're like, wow, this is so much better than I used to love you, but now this is great. Like you're teaching me about therapy, about meditation or whatever it is. And, you know, I think anybody who really is a true fan is going to be around no matter what, because I'm always talking about what's happening in my world and I'm being authentic about it. I'm never faking it. I'm never making up a persona that's not true. And I'm always sharing information about what's working for me in life. So those people know that they can rely on me for the truth, which is, you know, why I feel so passionately about sharing my stories, because that's, I guess, you know, ultimately what I am is a storyteller. And once I accepted that, it was like so much easier to get back into stand up. But also the quality of work, I would say, is different because you've made that change. And so the people who were saying that, you know, people might not be as interested if you're not making the jokes about somebody. There's been a huge cultural shift now to where if you were still doing that, it may not benefit you at all because now people are more thoughtful about how they're oh, presenting right, that exactly. information. Like you I were ahead of the curve almost. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I've been ahead of a lot of curves. Luckily, luckily, I know when to leave and when I <laughs> when, to, when get to, out of, out. When to get out of a situation and when to get into one, sometimes a little bit. You know, it takes a little bit longer or sometimes it's a little premature. You could argue both. But yeah, uh, yeah, I like where I am. So it's not really my concern if other people don't. And the people that love it, great, you know. Well, now you've gotten back into stand up, which you said you would not do a couple of years ago. You're like, absolutely zero interest. Like, what was the catalyst for your desire to do it again? Was it the fact that it was therapeutic being in a room, hearing people laugh at things that you thought were difficult to discuss? Yeah, I think I just missed, I didn't really give enough credit to or credence to how much I enjoyed being in front of a live audience. I think because I just forgot and it was so nice to see how excited people were to be on that tour. And I just thought, oh, this is so nice. Like, I don't have anything holding me back from extending this. And after I did about 10 shows of interviews, I had enough stories from the book that I knew this is a one woman show or this is a stand up show. And and then I just realized, oh, OK, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like now I have a message. Now I have a narrative about getting healthy and it's fucking funny and I can bring people through that. It's not just getting up on stage and telling jokes. And also I'm not shit faced. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different world being sober on stage when I go out there. Like I've I always took it for granted and I thought alcohol was my fuel. Like I needed to. A drink to get through two shows or one show and a book signing like I needed it and so now I realize no you don't it's much better to be present and get you know now I'm on stage for an hour and a half whereas before I used to like be waiting for mm -hmm. like the earliest possible minute to get off stage so so how do you keep that spark going into next year you know are you are you interested in still doing stand-up and if so how are you not going to burn yourself out again are you just going to take more time between things yeah i think i'll do this tour we just added these 15 dates and i think i'll do this until i and then i'll f shoot a special uh, i'm not going to go at a breakneck speed for sure because i don't want to burn out and i want to be able to do these other projects i want to shoot more documentaries and i have some other things you know 
that I have to do. So I'm excited to like to do this, to shoot a special and to just keep putting out, you know, things throughout the year. It's it's easy that it feels very lucky that I was able to find what I was looking for so quickly, you know, like fulfilling work and doing stuff that mattered to me as as it felt like as soon as I did the therapy and was present and focused and calm, things just started coming to me in a much more easy way. Everything felt much more effortless. Even the stuff that was effortful felt, okay, well, this is the right thing right now. Um, So it's just a level of stress that I don't have anymore. I would say that that was really evident with the stand-up because you weren't looking to do it at all. You just kind of fell back into it. Yeah. I mean, every manager and agent was like, please do stand-up. Please do stand-up. That's your moneymaker. That's your moneymaker. I'm like, I'm not doing stand-up. There is no way I'm doing stand-up. And then cut to 20 dates later, I'm like, I think I want to do some stand-up shows. But that's me in a nutshell. I mean, you know, I say no, 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 as long as it's anybody else's idea. So that's it. The real question, Brandon, is when are you going to start doing stand-up? Not even an option. I would like to give a shout out to Karen for her wedding. Um, She's on her honeymoon now. Bitch, as many of you know her, just got married this weekend to her longtime lover, Micah Slay. And uh, they had a a very, very beatific wedding in New Mexico this weekend. Um, Is there anyone else we want to say goodbye to from this podcast, Brandon? Are you... I just want to get back to Wendy's for that Frosty, man. Is that what you want right now? Is yep. it Frosty? I mean, we should we should thank Dan for all of his work on you and the multiple times he came on the podcast. Yeah, we should thank Dan. We should thank Sophie. Thank you very much. We should thank our sound engineer. Is it Mike? Dan. Great. <laughs> well, that's who we meant originally. And Sophie's our producer. Producer. Since I don't think she's been introduced. Okay. Sophie's our producer. She's been here for every episode. And I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in to us. And you can follow us. Well... Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram. (laughs) Make sure you don't abuse it. And uh, you can keep up with uh, everything I do on Twitter or my Countable page if you're looking for ways to be socially, well, socially active, I'm saying it again, social activism. If you're looking for ways to be social activism, go there. And Twitter, Facebook. Emily's List. Emily's List. Election cycle. I'm partnered with Emily's List. I'm still partnered with them to elect pro... uh, uh, progressive uh, Democratic women. And uh, I guess I will just say I hope everybody is doing a little bit better than they were when we started our podcast. Adios. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Life Will Be the Death of Me is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.